Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor and Rob McGregor and our tech magician producer, John, John Posey. John Posey <laughs> with the window Myst- open, so okay. I didn't want to talk too much, but uh, <laughs> yep. Let's, go okay. Go you can go to the mysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trisha's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas, available in audio as well as print and ebook. Okay, we want to welcome back Preston Dennett, who is the most prolific author of books about UFOs and aliens on planet Earth and maybe our galaxy and beyond. Who knows? Preston began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of more than 30 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His latest book is Humanoids and High Strangeness, which we're going to talk about today. Thanks for joining us, Preston, again on the Mystical Underground. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I want to begin by reading a few quotes from the book from Witnesses, just short ones. Uh, So, she looked like a praying mantis. I saw her face. I saw her hands. She had long fingers. She was very skinny. She looked like a praying mantis, and she was very tall. That's from Sandra. I never knew anything about greys. I didn't know what it was. It could have been the devil for all I knew. I had never seen anything like it. I never knew there was a creature out there that looked like that. I tried to resist. They had a hold of my arms, and they took me through the wall. Pamela. Okay, this black-cloaked lizard creature came out of the wall next to me. And then a second one, then a third. They came out of the wall. The feeling was so, so scary. I don't think I've ever felt evil like that in my whole life. That's Melissa. Okay, that's uh, quotes I want to start. So Preston, what's going on? Are these uh, real physical beings that can go through walls? I mean, is this imaginary creatures or are these uh, like waking nightmares or mirrors or uh, nightmares or are are these physical beings or both? (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I think the evidence is pretty clear that we're dealing with physical beings who do have amazing abilities to do things like walk through walls but the fact is uh these witnesses are being physically affected uh they can you know feel (laughs) feel it when these beings perhaps hold their arms or and they're missing from their rooms when people are looking for them 
or yeah. wherever they might be. They're, these are leaving medical effects, landing traces. I mean, this is a physical experience, 100%. While mm-hmm. there may be interdimensional aspects to it, uh, what is an interdimensional on this planet? Every entity has interdimensional aspects to it, including us. Right. What's interesting is not only can they walk through the walls, but they can take people through the walls too, right? That's uh, wow. how, do they, how do they do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the million dollar question, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, I, I expect. What does that doing. feel like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there are people on earth who have experienced this. There is a medium or was by the name of Carlos Mirabelli, who was Brazil's greatest medium who had that ability and displayed it in front of scientists. Really? Wow. Actually walked through. That must've made him popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was very well known in his country. Certainly. This has happened to other people who are so-called enlightened masters, or even to a schoolgirl in England, Janet Harper, who was experiencing really strong poltergeist activity. I believe she was probably an untrained medium mm-hmm. and was pulled through the wall. So this yeah. could be done by psychic means, or honestly, I think they have the technology to do this. They have an understanding of the electromagnetic spectrum, the ETs do. Mm-hmm. And can do things with it that border on miraculous, like yeah. levitating a person or healing them right. or pulling them through solid objects. Yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, I read descriptions of people with out-of-body experiences who go up through the walls and they can see the material in the wall and in the roof or whatever. But this is f- from a physical state right through. So that's that's even more impressive than just an out-of-body state. President, I had an experience I want to get your opinion on. In 2001, a friend and I went to Eric Pearl's workshop where he teaches you certain hand gestures on how to heal yourself. And he instructed each of us to take a stranger as a partner. And so the woman that I was with, I didn't know her. And as she passed her hands over me, I all of a sudden the top of my head blew open and a beam of light shot out through it, through the ceiling. And at the top of the ceiling, I thought I saw three alien creatures peering down. They weren't hostile. They were actually just curious, I think. And I thought, okay, wow, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> and then it happened again four years later during Hurricane Francis, when Rob and Megan and all the animals were asleep and I'm laying awake in bed listening to the shrieking wind. I thought, oh my God, we're, are we going to wake up in the morning with no you know, no windows, no door. And I shut my eyes and they were there again. So I, I've I've come to identify them as sort of comforting. So what is that? I mean. <laughs> That's a loaded question. A- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely how a lot of people do have contact is telepathic. They are watching uh-huh. over us. And you can sense them if you're well connected to them. And as far as healing and hand movements, uh, yeah, this is something a lot of contactees experience, um, Mm. coming back from their experiences with the ability to do what we would call hands-on healing Uh or Reiki. There is an absolute ability that is often channeled, I guess, through our hands uh, to put out healing energy, which I believe is probably from essentially the astral realms. Uh-huh. 
Well, I've been waiting for them to come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This doesn't surprise me at all because I've heard a lot of similar (laughs) accounts uh, where they are benevolent and trying to Uh help and heal or protect in many ways. Yeah. So I, I was talking to Trish about your book yesterday and I was reading it was uh, one thing that I kept reading and was kind of freaking me out is these people, especially when they're teenagers, were having a lot of nosebleeds. And when I was a teenager, I had a lot of nosebleeds. I, I just thought it was a regular thing that people did that had nosebleeds and then it, then it stopped. Uh, but I've never had any uh, sense of awareness of uh, being abducted or having an implant, but that's usually what that's related to an implant, isn't it? Uh, With the nosebleeds. Yeah, it certainly is. It's one of the questions I do ask people when I'm trying to determine if they've had contact or not, Mm because it does turn up fairly regularly. And yeah, in the sinus cavity is a very common place for these implants, which I think are health related. You know, there's a lot of speculation about implants, but I can tell you that the contactees I've talked to, some have been told directly from the ETs themselves that it's health related. So with lots yeah. of people speculating, oh, it's for tracking or mind control. Right. I'm like, where's your evidence for that? Is this yeah. what the ETs told you? You know, have you any evidence of that whatsoever? No, they don't. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just an important point because the word implant is kind of a trigger word for some people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, your title is human, Humanoids and High Strangeness. Uh, what is your definition of humanoids? Uh, we are, yeah. <laughs> Us and who else? We, we ourselves are strange humanoids, certainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is something that's very interesting to me, and I think has really profound implications, is that when people report ETs, almost always, without exception, I mean, of course, there are a few exceptions, but almost always, people report humanoids, bipedal beings with mm-hmm. arms and legs and a head and so forth. Mm-hmm. And looking very much like us, with eyes and nose and mouth and so forth, mm-hmm. which you know there are of course many different variations here going on, uh, but it appears that we all share a common heritage, and this is a very common message contactees get. So I'm not even sure we're different species, but mm-hmm. I would say perhaps different ancestries. And mm. profoundly different in appearances, certainly. Right. Very, very tall beings, up to 15 feet even, to mm. very short, as little as two feet, or even smaller in some cases. Yeah. But usually you, somewhere around four to <laughs> seven feet humanoids yeah. of all kinds. Right. But you wouldn't include the reptilian aliens in that uh, category, would you? They're hardly humanoid. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, they are humanoid uh, oh, really? reptilians. They've okay. got arms and legs. They're walking okay. around. Okay. Uh, so what, you know, we all share common DNA on this planet. I just read something recently, which made me laugh, but half of the DNA in humans is identical to bananas. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this well, is... that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be facetious. It's true. We have long strands of DNA that are equal to celery. 
the mm -hmm. bonobo, uh. the chimpanzees are 99% identical. And look how different we look. Yeah. So uh -huh. this is all life on this planet. And frankly, I think other planets has DNA. Mm -hmm. So this is what I mean by profound implications. When we have people reporting ETs that look just like us, yeah. just like humans, indifferentiable, mm -hmm. if that's a word, yeah. <laughs> undifferentiated. Uh, that, I mean, what does that say about human origins? Do we even evolve on this planet? I am not so sure. Yeah, I'm not yeah. either. Well, that also, times. yeah, uh, when they look identical to us, that also opens the question of whether they are from this earth um, and military related, possibly. Uh, and uh, they've also been accused of doing implants as well. But uh, some are masquerading as ETs. Uh, our government is doing nefarious things. <laughs> this yeah. is where, why I think some of the contactee accounts are quite negative and this whole phenomenon is getting a uh -huh. bad name because uh -huh. there's an et threat narrative being put forth by our quote secret governments right mm -hmm. yeah question yeah. you have in in this book your first story about this richard simon the pseudonym that that's fascinating four generations now tell us about that no that is uh, how did you name, find this guy <laughs> yeah oh it is okay yeah i yeah, asked you know i always ask the witnesses is it okay if i use your name and Surprisingly, uh, you know, more and more people are like absolutely fine with it. So yeah, yeah I, was, I was going to ask you that because it does seem like people are more willing to talk now. Yeah, uh -huh. which I'm so glad about because so many people are having this experience. Yeah. Time for you know ridicule and disbelief and skepticism and denial. That's over. We have the evidence. Yeah. And Richard yeah. Simon's case is a really interesting one. Or the, to me, the biggest takeaway is the reason you mentioned four generations. Four generations. And they yeah. always happen at age seven. That's what I found so interesting. Yeah, isn't that What's remarkable? magical about seven? <laughs> <laughs> it's a common age, somewhere around four to maybe even 12 is when contact usually starts. Perhaps earlier, honestly, but people don't always remember yeah. you know, before age four. But mm. Richard's case is so fascinating because it almost slid under his radar, did for you know a good number of years. No At memory. age seven, he was fine and then woke up the next morning with anxiety and could not uh -huh. sleep after one night, age seven, for no reason he could fathom. Could not sleep at night, was just had terrible insomnia, fear of intruders. Felt like someone uh -huh. was watching him and could not figure it out for years. Literally would take naps during the day because he couldn't sleep at night. And no one knew what to do about it um, until around age 20, I think it was 22 or so. His mom, Ines, decided she's going to quit smoking <laughs> and she's going to go visit a hypnotist by the name of Retha. Gosh, I forget her last name. Uh, but she's a well-experienced uh, hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm. And Ines says to her son, Richard, hey, you know, you've got insomnia. You should join me. Maybe she could help. And he didn't want to do it, but she convinced him. And so they went to see Retha, and Ines went in first, and Richard waited in the waiting room and heard his mm -hmm. mom crying and screaming a little bit 
through the walls of the office God. there. Yeah, he was concerned. And finally, his mom comes out. She's a little teary-eyed. It's like, what's wrong, mom? She says, you know what? I'm fine. Your turn. You go in. <laughs> and, and he was very curious, of course, naturally, but went in to see the hypnotist who wouldn't say anything about his mom. <laughs> Not yet. So she asked him, you know, what's up with your insomnia? Why can't you sleep? And he said, I have no idea. It just happened at age seven. And she asked him various questions about his family life. And he's like, listen, I've got a great family. I've got loving parents. I love my siblings. I'm well adjusted. He did well in school. There was no reason for this. She says, okay, let's go under hypnosis. And put him into a trance, which took, you know, a good 20 minutes, half hour. And, you know, hypnosis is poorly understood, I think, by the public. It's yeah. just a state of relaxation. And so he had gotten relaxed. And then she asked him, um, why can't you sleep? And he instantly saw bright lights shining down at him. And then inhuman faces or grays, essentially, is what they were. And just like that, the dam broke. She did not lead him in any way, oh, wow. didn't have to say a darn thing. And he remembered being pulled on board. He woke up in the house that night and it was filled with light. He's searching around, he couldn't find his mom. She was not in bed. His dad had the night shift. So he was quite concerned. And that's when the front doors opened and there were grays. And the next thing he knows, he's mm. on board a craft. It's being physically examined. It's quite cool in there. The peculiar odor, like a sort of clammy fish tank is how he described it. Metallic walls, indirect lighting, a lot of the details we hear about. Mm. And uh, he was quite frightened, unable to move and sort of whimpering and screaming. And one of the ET, there was short little grays, a tall gray and a very tall gray. And one of the grays came up to him and said, what's the matter, child? <laughs> and he said, I'm cold and I want to go home. And they said, well, we're, you'll go home soon. We're almost done. And that was repeated a few times as they were working on his stomach. And at one point, he heard a woman screaming, letting out a stream of curses. Uh, and uh, other little grays went to attend to her later of course, he realized that was his mother. And, you know, that was, in essence, the experience in a nutshell. But except, after, except he, he got mad, right? When he came out of the out of the trance, he, yeah. he thought she had she had put put him into the uh, led, led him into that state. Yeah, I, I had to include that part, because it was important. Yeah, uh, yeah during the yeah. whole session, um, you know, which kind of came in a little bit out of order. But Finally, he did remember, because she asked him, how did this all begin? And that's when he remembered the ETs coming into the house. Mm -hmm. And he became very frightened. That was the most frightening moment. And he leapt off the couch and approached Retha and said, how dare you? You put this in my head. You put all of this in my head. This didn't happen. You know, how dare you do this? And he was livid with anger. And she said, listen, calm down. I did not do this. I didn't say a word. This is being tape recorded. You will have the tapes. You can review them. This is 
He's like, this is a dream. This didn't happen. She's like, it did happen. Because your mom remembered exactly what you are recalling. Uh, which, you know, comparing notes later. Yeah, their experiences absolutely corroborated each other's. But he so They were calmed both down. taken. Yeah. Yep. He calmed mm -hmm. down and basically said, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. But speaking with his mother, she's like, honey, I had an experience at age seven as well. Uh, where she was in the barn and on a farm and I think I think it was Kentucky or thereabout uh, and had a, an encounter a face-to-face -face encounter with a strange being at age seven. Mm -hmm. Now of course he grows up, gets married, has kids, mm -hmm. is watching TV about grade and his seven-year-old <laughs> daughter Sarah comes running into the room and says drops her Barbies and comes running in the room and says daddy daddy I need to talk to you. <laughs> She's like no honey I am busy. And she said, no, dad, it's important. I need to talk to you now. Finally, he's like, what's the matter? And she points to the TV and says, that's what's coming into my room and poking oh my, my nose. <laughs> and it was, of course, a gray. At yeah. that time, she was experiencing some pretty severe nosebleeds. Hmm. And he's like, oh, my God. And that, you know, of course, time passed. She grew up. She got married. She had kids. Her kid reaches wow. age seven, which was just a few years ago, and said, Mommy, there's a monkey <laughs> man standing outside my window. It's coming into my room. It's got no hair, big dark eyes. Um, yeah, four generations, all at age seven. Wow. It's interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Well, now, how did, did they find you or did you find them? How did you get this story? Uh, they contacted me. Um, had watched my YouTube channel, which is how uh -huh. a number of people do contact me. Some are through my mm -hmm. books, some are from podcasts like yours, some are uh -huh. direct referrals from friends and family mm -hmm. and coworkers. Uh, I mean, all different ways. I'll I'll speak at a convention or something. And people might uh -huh. come up to me or see me on TV. Mm -hmm. I have made a few TV appearances over the years. So, so yeah, you contacted me. Didn't uh, Richard have a brother too that was undergoing these experiences, or is, uh, it the, is that another story? I think that was no, another story. No, that was oh. another story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but there I can't remember which one that was, but uh, the brother oh, has. Yeah. yeah, you remember the brother has no recollection of any of this. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's. I'm not sure That's, what. That was Ron that Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Who also let me use his real name? Okay. Uh, right. And. I love that case. It's so interesting because there's some really interesting takeaways from that one as well. Yeah. That was... What's fascinating about what their experiences is they saw a variety of beings. Mm -hmm. uh, they were just two little kids starting around age four or five in their hometown in East Palo, Texas, okay. 1970 or so. The room would fill with light. But, you know, they shared a room, these two brothers. Uh, Ron uh, was one year older than his younger brother. And the room would fill with light, and in would walk this very tall being who reached the ceiling, sometimes he even had to bend over. So I'm guessing he was either a tall white or a praying mantis, though uh -huh. honestly they couldn't say because they never got a really good look. This very tall being would stand at the corner of the room, and in would come little grays, and then these short blue beings. 
Right. Now, Ron mm -hmm. contacted me because he saw a drawing my sister-in-law had done of these little blue beings. And he's like, that's exactly what I saw. Wow. I'm looking and looking and says, that's exactly it. And they're about three feet tall, flat faces, kind of wrinkly, thick looking skin, bluish, little tiny dark eyes and wearing robes and a hood. Mm -hmm. I'm carrying a wand in one hand, a glowing sort of wand-like mm -hmm. object. I would come mm -hmm. up to them and touch them with the wand, at which point they would usually black out. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's so interesting because this happened over and over and over again for years. And they had missing time many times, told their parents who were very, very religious and didn't know how to interpret this, absolutely thought the kids were making it up. We're like, no, no, mom, the room's filling with light. The mom walks to the window and says, well, look, there's this light that shines in through your window. I'm like, no, mom, the room is filling with light. <laughs> and something That has very... to be frustrating for a kid when, when your parents don't believe what you're saying. Yeah, no, yeah, 12 parents out there. <laughs> this is Yeah, happening. really. <laughs> and you listen to your kids when they're saying this. Uh, so it's very frustrating for children without any recourse because they can't call somebody. Mm -hmm. No. You know, who are they going to tell if their parents are not going to listen? Right. They're uh, going to tell you, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yeah. But it takes years for you know, people to come to terms with this sometimes. But now that with the internet, it's a lot easier uh, for young people, especially to, to yeah. be able to figure out and make, you know, connections that in times past, uh, you're right, it would take years before they would start to realize that there's other people who have had these type of experiences. Yeah. In fact, in the yeah, book, Preston... there's a few very young people who contacted me who are oh, just, really? you know, like 18 or 19 and uh -huh. had their experiences at age 14 or, you know, younger, but wow. just just a few years. Now, have but, you ever but, taken stories from people who are under 18? Do you um, do that? I have, but only with parent parental permission. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm not going to interview them unless you're there. <laughs> yeah, right. Standing yeah. next to them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Preston, since you've been gathering all this information, do you have ETs visiting you at night? <laughs> um, well... I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean. Have you been hypnotized yourself? <laughs> no, I have not. Okay. You know, right. I do think hypno hypnotism works. Yeah. I stayed away from it for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. I do support it. I yeah. have on occasion mm -hmm. referred people to hypnosis, but it's pretty rare mm -hmm. that I do that. And only if a person is suffering, honest to God, anxiety right. is a very clear-cut case of missing time really want to do it mm -hmm. and even before that i will tell them you know write everything down everything that you mm -hmm. remember so you do not conflate your hypnotically retrieved right. memories with what you consciously recall meditate you know try dream recall you know really consider this because once you go that route there's no going back you right can open up a can of worms for people Right. It can really cause you to question the veracity of your memories. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I know it works. I think the evidence yeah. is very clear on that in the right hands. Mm -hmm. I haven't done right. it because of the controversy surrounding it. In fact, in my books, I would say it's about 10%, maybe 20 in a few of the books 
do have cases involving hypnosis, but the vast uh -huh. majority do not. So mm -hmm. I can tell people so with full confidence that hypnotically retrieved memories does not explain contact. It just right. doesn't. This because is not false memory syndrome. So most of them mm -hmm. can consciously remember the uh, these events that in your book. Percent, yeah. Oh. You know, Ron Johnson and his little brother did. I just yeah. want to backpedal a little bit to that case because there's yeah. something really interesting that happened to them. Is they would wake up in the morning wrapped up in their uh, sheets like yeah. a burrito, like an inch, you know, really tightly <laughs> wound mm -hmm. up in their sheets to the point where their arms were, you know, pasted to their sides and they couldn't move. Wow. They'd be flopping around like caterpillars. You know, mom, mom, <laughs> dad, help. And their parents would come in and be like, what did you do? And I'm like, it wasn't us. We didn't do this. <laughs> uh, it's the little blue men. And their parents would be like, stop it. <laughs> it <laughs> happened over and over again. And that happened. I had another guy in the book uh, who called me after he read that chapter. He's like, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you. <laughs> that happened to me. I'm like, oh, gosh. And I forgot to ask him. Uh, yeah. But I have other huh. cases of that exact same thing. <laughs> well, they'll yeah. wrap you up in a blanket so tight you have to wiggle your way out. Were these also blues who did it? Were they no. also these blues? No. no. It, it, okay. It the gray ETs, but I think uh -huh. I figured out why. <laughs> I'm speculating, but I think they're doing it on purpose to uh, basically leave a little bit of evidence. Uh -huh. Yeah. It says, yeah. you know what? You were visited. Figure this out. <laughs> kind of a funny it's almost a sense of humor I think. yeah I mean, yeah I really it funny. it's very weird <laughs> my it's strangeness just, i'm telling you that's part yeah, of this phenomenon. it's just like like coming home with somebody else's pajamas you know that that's i've heard stories yeah. about that too yeah i just read another case this morning about a, a guy in tennessee i think it was who or no yeah a lady who woke up with this t-shirt on which they tracked it to japan a sporting wow. event in Japan. Oh, <laughs> so so there's wow. no way she could have had that. But apparently some guy in Japan woke up with her shirt. <laughs> I don't know. You wonder if that's intentional or uh, like a joke or they well, just don't care. Well, it sounds care. like it is. Or it could be they just don't know or don't care. Well, I, I studied a bunch of cases and I came up with either it's a mistake. Yeah. Or they just yeah don't care or it's intentional. I mean, I really don't know. Yeah, um, I, I, it's hard. Maybe it's to like say the wrapping sure. of the kids, like the wrapping the kids in blankets. It's a piece of evidence. Yeah, well, it's certainly good evidence, isn't it? When so something like that. Yeah, happens. really. <laughs> now you had another story in here about these two kids. You had two stories from people in Puerto Rico. Both of those were interesting. Uh, how did you get those? Did they come to you also? One gentleman, I think I think it's just one actually. Um, there's a case from uh, San Juan, Argentina. There's another from uh, Peru, England, France, oh, Germany. Oh, that's right, Peru, yeah. Um, but yeah, the guy from Puerto Rico, Abdiel is his name. Was his case is quite recent, uh, and he contacted me when I think he was 18 years old uh, and had had an experience at age 14. <laughs> And what's so interesting about his case is he hadn't had any experiences as a child, but just sat no. down one day to watch TV and on came the TV program, Hangar One, about UFOs. <laughs> he's like, wow, 
UFOs. I he'd never even thought about them. Huh. He hopped on the internet, as you said, Rob. They now have a yeah. recourse and uh, found out that where he lives, Puerto Rico, is pretty active, which is certainly mm -hmm. true. Uh, and expressed a desire to have contact. I mean, really started thinking about it quite, you know, all the time. He became a little bit obsessed with it. And with a week later, he had his first sighting. Yeah. So it's like, that can't cool. be a coincidence. Just <laughs> can't be. And at the same time, he started really becoming interested in tele te telepathy and telekinesis and mm -hmm. other sort of subjects that are related to this, certainly. And it wasn't long after that, his interest ramped up even more. And he's like, I'd really like to make contact. And he did. He had another sighting. And that was followed by more high strangeness events, such as unexplained knockings on his kitchen window, right. at which point the kitchen light blinked twice. Mm -hmm. And weird stuff going on in his bedroom, more you know, unexplained sounds and a feeling of an, a presence. Uh -huh. And it was shortly after that, you know, the motion sensor light went on in their backyard and he didn't go out to investigate. He called his mom and she went out and the gate was opened. And, and he thought, well, that's strange. Oh, right. It had been yeah. closed. But that's when they found a six foot wide circle in the grass that looked like something had come from above and landed. Hmm. Uh, and it was quite prominent. He sent me the photographs of it. And, uh, he and then he found that piece of jewelry. That was yeah. really interesting. It, which said Bond and Company, which apparently yeah. is from a dog collar company, but there's none near there. Um, so that's odd. And it's also odd because it wasn't there before. I talked mm -hmm. to, to Whitley Strieber about this because Abdil thought that this was a sign. You know, this was a, an attempt at communication. And Whitley Strieber uh -huh. laughed like, yeah, this is exactly the sort of thing they do. That communicate in roundabout, <laughs> interesting ways. Yeah. And that's certainly how Abdil felt. And it was not long after that, he found another marking on his lawn, which he said looked like a ET portrait of his, this head with, you know, mm -hmm. eyes and a kind of a big head, triangular shape. And again, he's thinking, you know, I'm either I'm going crazy. Am I reading too much into this? What is going on? And he went out couple of evenings later to take another look at this and try to wrap his head around it and that's to his amazement when he saw a very strange humanoid and he described it and i don't think i've ever heard one quite like it uh, but which is not all that unusual but he said it was mm -hmm. you know very slender quite short five feet or so maybe shorter uh, brown skinned had a kind of a triangular head, largish eyes, no visible. Oh, no, it did have a nose and a mouth, uh, but it wasn't wearing any clothes as far as mm -hmm. you could tell. But it darted across that yard so fast, it said it may be just a few seconds and was running in a very peculiar way with its arms kind of dangling behind it. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> and he didn't react the way he thought he would. He wasn't scared. But, you know, this was something you would normally go investigate. 
but he didn't for whatever reason. She now kicks himself because he had access. It ran into the neighbor's yard. Right. Uh, and he could have easily just walked over there and checked it out, but he didn't. Uh, so he, mm -hmm. he wonders about that. But yeah, he's like, wow, you know, did he initiate this encounter? Hmm. And I think we have to consider that possibility because he was. It sounds like it. Reaching, yeah, he was really kind of, uh -huh. kind of trying to reach out to them. And that's yeah. the same with the case uh, in the, uh, the guy in Peru. He seems to have, there seems to be a lot of paranormal uh, uh, connection with a lot of these cases. And the guy in Peru, he, he actually called them down to, uh, uh, I think, toward the later part of the, the story where the, uh, he sees the, the bright light and then it comes right down uh, close to him. And he, but he was also hearing like a, a voice in his head uh, like communicating with him and that you you have quite a few of those don't you where they they hear voices that uh seem to come from from the beings yeah yeah i'm not sure which case you're talking whether it's the one in argentina or peru because they both had that. okay yeah <laughs> um, I, was was like, I don't think i read the one in argentina but the one in peru would show goes through his whole life from his childhood and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that one is so interesting. Sebastian is his name. Sebastian yeah, right. Bulos. Yeah. And what a nice man and very passionate. Mm -hmm. um, we did a very long, you know, well, the main interview was quite long. Yeah, because it's a long story, too. I mean, it's <laughs> through his whole life and right up to pretty much the present is where you end it. I mean, he's still, uh, I think that his last experience was in 2022, but he's he's still searching, you know. I just heard back from him recently. Ah, okay. Uh, so yeah, what an amazing guy who you know had no prior experiences, but had reached a point in his life where he was having some difficulty. His parents had experiences, by the way, mm. had seen UFOs. Mm. His mother saw a very close-up UFO right mm -hmm. over during a party with a, a whole bunch of her relatives. Very yeah, it was, close. Yeah, it was large too. I think she said. Uh, yeah. Uh, your classic saucer, but he hadn't yeah. and just had a passing interest in the subject, certainly believed in it because he'd heard about, you know, his parents sighting, but had moved out of his house not too long ago. Uh, he had been taught English and became a tour guide uh, with, you know, having English skills that worked well for him, but lost his job through no fault of his own and ran out of money and couldn't get another job and was... I couldn't afford to eat meat anymore, which, you know, as he says yeah. in Peru is not easy because everyone's all about barbecues and sausage. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so he's on a vegetarian diet. He's praying to find a job. He's, you know, nearing a, a point where he's in real trouble and mm. had gone out to hang up the laundry and Suddenly, in his mind, he saw this glowing uh, orange-yellow object. And he, it was weird because he could see it in his mind's eye, like remote viewing. It was north of where he lived in Lima, Peru. It's like, well, that's odd. He's like looking down on it from above. He's like, I recognize this area. This is not far from the airport. And it's coming towards me. He's like, why am I seeing this? It's in his head. 
And, and he was wow. watching it get closer and closer. He's like, it's going to appear over my house if this keeps up. At which point he heard a phrase in his head in Spanish, which said, Mira el cielo. Look up. Look at, Look the, at the sky. sky. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he did. And that's when this object appeared. And huh. he said it was amazing because it wasn't just an object. Inside of it, he could see this beautiful male figure, uh, which was glowing. And he said, you know, it, it looked very much like Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian <laughs> man. Hmm. I had to look that up because I had, you know, vague recollections of that. But right. you know, that's the figure with the arm, right. yeah. you know, the arm yeah. stretched out yeah. like this, the legs. Yeah. Right. And he said it was this beautiful, muscular male figure. Uh, what huh. we might call Nordic, though I don't really like that term. I would call it human looking, mm -hmm. but very handsome. And instead of the arms being stretched out to the sides, they were stretched out in front in a kind of supplicating gesture. Huh. And as it I got close. Yeah, I wonder if that could be an, an implanted image, too, that they don't it don't really look like that. But that's what he wanted to appear to him as for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that's a possibility, but I don't see any reason to speculate that. Yeah. Because so many people see these figures. Yeah. yeah. Um, pe people see greys and they look like greys. I mean, there are, yeah. of course, screen memories. Mm -hmm. But I think we yeah. have enough people reporting human-looking ETs and greys and praying mantids and reptilians and blue beings that that is what they look like. Yeah. Um, Preston, if you talk to this guy again, ask him if he knows where Markawasi is, especially if he's from <laughs> Lima. Well, I'm curious, you know, I mean, people who live in Lima often haven't heard about Markawasi. It's a place that's about 30 or 40 miles north, I think, of Lima. It, but it takes about huge... two hours to get there. <laughs> well, it takes a lot yeah, <laughs> more than that. Of, if you, because you have to the go roads. by donkey. <laughs> yeah. It's up in the mountains, you know, to go up to the mountains. But anyway, there there have been a lot of UFO sightings connected with Markawasi. And there's rocks. I'll, I'll, I'll type it out for you. Yeah, there's yeah. rocks there that appear as uh, humans and animals there, and uh, the scientists don't. Nobody know whether, knows who's uh, whether they're they're some some scientists say, well, this is just natural, uh, and others say, no, these oh. were carved that way. Uh, Markawasi yeah. is the, the name of the place. No, he didn't mention it, but I would suspect he does know about it. He's a very yeah. intelligent man who's done right. his research, is really into this subject, yeah. has tried very uh. hard to get photographic evidence and succeeded. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's yeah. gotten evidence. Huh. Uh. One of the things uh, I wanted to ask you about is uh, now the people, most of the people that you interview, or maybe all of them, they're kind of regular people. I mean, they don't, uh, it's like the, the Grays or whoever... They're not. Uh, they're not going. At least uh, the ones that you've contacted you. They're not going to the power people, the influencers. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, just regular folks. Uh, but what about the other side? Are there cases that you're aware of where people who are in positions of high power have also had these experiences? hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Okay. I think if you look into the whole history of ufos and ufo literature you'll see that there are presidents senators mm -hmm. representatives governors okay. heads of state who all have had encounters mm -hmm. and that the ets did go to them 
-hmm. and tried very hard to communicate with them and get them mm. to do the right thing. Yeah. And of course they didn't. And this mm. is why they are doing what I would call a grassroots movement and going mm. to the people. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. These are normal people of all types. They're, you know, housewives, nurses, police officers, yeah. artists. I mean, you name a profession. I'm sure I've got a case of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, the people they contact are doing really good work for humanity. Generally speaking, these are important people because they are nurses, they're teachers, mm -hmm. they're environmentalists, they're animal rights activists, they are social workers. These are people who are working hard to help humanity. So I would call them, you know, doers, movers and shakers in a way, but sort of under the radar. Yeah. Not, not the mm -hmm. leaders so much, but yeah, the yeah. Mexican president had an encounter, sort of the Brazilian president. Uh, president uh, of a province in uh, Russia. Uh, of course, we've had two presidents, governors, oh, many. Right. Just recently, during the congressional hearings, one of the senators said, several of us have had encounters. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I wish you would. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> totally. Yeah, we're they're a little more being truthful. Tell yeah. us. <laughs> they're a little more secretive. Uh, we've been in contact uh, recently. Uh, with a woman who is involved in the international environmental movement. And uh, so she has some very interesting cases, very detailed, but she doesn't want to use her name. You know, she's very concerned that this would, uh, people would just dismiss her uh, from, from the work she's doing. So, Which is too bad. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of a false yeah. premise. Yeah. But we're, think, that is days. where the tide is really changing now. Yeah, and I think this is one of the big benefits of the so-called steps towards, you know, just I'm going to put in huge quotes, disclosure, because it's not, <laughs> but it's having an effect on how people view all of this. Right. And it's got also a level of legitimacy. That, that Netflix show Encounters is, is having an effect, yeah. too. I, I just watched the first three episodes and I was surprisingly yeah. <laughs> impressed. Yeah, wait till you see the fourth. It's, it's well the, done. The, wait till you see the fourth one on uh, Fukushima. On uh, Fukushima. Uh, Fukushima, uh, that in Japan, that is very impressive. Uh, oh, wow. that, that, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we, I really liked the one they did on the Rua Zimbabwe case. I yeah, wish they had we, called yes. me. I could have told them a few things about the schoolyard. <laughs> really could have. And what about That's, that guy who is just denying it all and saying uh, that he? Yeah, who that, was he? They they kind of overplayed that guy, I thought. But uh, you just I wonder what. So yeah, you just wonder why. Uh, what the and well, they maybe never said, they felt they needed a skeptic. You know. But they never said they never said uh, what he did, what what he saw at the time, or or was he interviewed at the time? Because there's no no little kids saying, "Oh, I just made this up." There's isn't any of that. It's all no, the, there was. Was there? There was one yeah. scene. Yes, one scene. Uh, as a, yeah, well, just as that a guy. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I then, saw that. <laughs> and yeah, my then, immediate impression, even before he spoke, was his body language is a little off. Yeah. I interviewed yeah. a lot of people. Uh -huh. And yeah. he, you know, I can't say for sure I haven't interviewed him, yeah. <laughs> but I was not impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had the same yeah. feeling too about him. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. want, it's like he wanted the attention saying i created this you know and uh, <laughs> uh but 60 people you know and and you know and he he said 
he was pointing to a rock and said it's a, a alien craft. Yeah, and, right. And there's like it wasn't. I know what a rock looks like. That was not a rock. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. I like the way yeah. I like the way they they showed John Mack how he spoke to them. He really knew how to speak to these kids to make to draw them out. What's so amazing is one of the teachers there had encounters. Yes. I think that was the head teacher. In fact, uh, you know, that came the out. Headmistress. Uh, yeah, that came out in the this in the encounter interview because that that wasn't out before. That was that's new. And, and the guys uh, asked her, do you want to come with us? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. They, they, she they said, came, you know, I'm going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came three times to her because she was living right on the campus there, you know, and that was going on. So isn't that amazing? Because, you know, that is new information that hasn't come out about this case. Right. Yeah, that's and, new information on that case. Yeah. yeah. It's so obviously a real case. That one witness is an absolute outlier. Well, yeah. perhaps just a liar. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, <right>. But definitely <laughs> an outlier. I think just a liar. <laughs> yeah, like like a plant. <laughs> yeah, I that's what I was going to say. He's yeah. like a plant. He's the skeptic <laughs> plant. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, I'd really like to dig deeper into what, who he is and why he's saying this. And yeah, if and, we can pin that down. Yeah, and see what uh, kind of associations he has with uh, uh, skeptic groups or whatever. And, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the uh, things I wanted to ask you about that we haven't touched on, uh, the little blues and maybe some of the grays, could they be uh, biorobotic beings and not fully uh, conscious beings in the same uh, way? That the little are? blues are what we would call biological beings like us reproducing. Really? But absolutely. Some of the very little short grays, you know, like in Richard Simon's uh you know, Richard Simon's case, mm -hmm. where he had the little grays surrounding him. Yeah, right. Uh, I suspect those were AI. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tell because they move very quickly. They're very businesslike. Yeah. And he said that a couple of times. He said, they just had a job to do and they were doing right. it. Right. Yeah. They're not yeah. super emotionally expressive. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And do seem to follow orders of the mid-sized grays. Yeah. Uh, and from other cases like Dolly Safran. Mm -hmm. who, you know the mm -hmm. book symmetry she said oh yeah and and laid it out in black and white yeah um, whitley streber of course saw them stacked up like cordwood on right. the board as yeah. did dolly saw them all locked arms yeah. in a giant room uh -huh. uh, she goes into detail about them i do suspect those you know three to four foot tall little grays mm -hmm. are what we would call biological androids yeah. So they may have been okay, the yeah, one. Preston, I have, excuse me, I have a request. If we see you and Dolly at Christmas, I would like to see these three ETs again. <laughs> Can you guys make that happen? Or should I start requesting it now? <laughs> That's on you, Trish. <laughs> you oh, come on, help me. <laughs> Each of us has the responsibility to elevate our own psychic abilities and reach out make contact because that is one of the et agendas their goals their uh -huh. missions is mm -hmm. to uh, basically encourage people to elevate their own psychic abilities and reach out mm -hmm. to them uh, mm -hmm. they will meet you halfway but you have to do the work and you already are so okay. you're good <laughs> 
Well, it's been a while since it happened. So that's why I'm saying, okay, come on, let's speed this up here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one more follow up question regarding the robotic beings, the little grays. There have been a number of documented cases of crashes and with beings being recovered. And you, you kind of wonder, so they come across from billions of miles or light years uh, through dimensions, and then they crash on Earth? Uh, you, I, I've always wondered, maybe this was intentional and that those were robotic beings that were in there and recovered. Yeah, um, I don't have any evidence or good reporting or any reason to believe that these are intentional crashes. Really? Okay. Um, uh. People have put that forth, and I would lean toward that being disinformation or just bad reporting. Really? Uh, from what I can understand, and, and mm. I've talked to Dolly about this as well, you know, and many contactees have told me this, that ETs fly their craft by harnessing the gravitational magnetic field lines of our planet, mm -hmm. which if you look into the science on this, and you can, you know, don't believe me, look it up. It's very uh, unstable. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, the primary reason for UFO crashes. People mm -hmm. are like, huh, they're, you know, they're so, they've got such advanced technology. How could this possibly happen? Yeah. Well, well we're, 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 we're going, <laughs> well, I mean, we're going through a, uh, a uh, transition of the uh, magnetic poles right now, you know, which mm -hmm. could, right. could possibly impact, you know, how they navigate. You know, Hmm. percent yeah i'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that because that's yeah, exactly that's right yeah and, and let's remember if, if mufon and new fork are getting 20 reports a day uh which is about what they average certainly mm -hmm. in the past mm -hmm. uh and one in a hundred people report anything to mufon i mean this is an indication that ufo activity is far more common right than is being publicly reported yeah. So there's a lot of these UFOs flying around. Yeah. <laughs> and if one or two crash, well, it shouldn't come as any surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when people are like, oh, they're coming from light years away. What are they doing? You know, it must be hard to get here. Well, that's speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, if you, I think we should need to start looking directly to the contactees for information, not our governments. Not you know uh -huh. scientists on TV who have never mm -hmm. done their research or even seen a UFO, uh, because the contactees are being told this. ETs have the ability to traverse interstellar distances very easily and quickly. And they've taken the, some of the contactees along. You have stories where they take a uh, guy taken, or I think maybe it was a woman who had taken, showing this is the planet where you are from, this green planet. And then you're suddenly you're zipped back to Earth, which, you know, they're probably light years away. So they have some way of moving dramatically, you know. Well, look what happened to distant, Dolly. Yeah. You know, I mean, Dolly's she's, she's her example. Uh, out yeah. to Jupiter, out to Jupiter, yeah. Yeah, but the guy, the case you're talking about is Matteo from France. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, which is a pseudonym. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, because he, he's quite private. He still has family members. He just recently discussed it with his daughter. He's like, yeah, dad, I've been having this for years. I'm fine with it. Uh, he's he's the one who's kind of trying to wrap his head around his experiences. But yeah, as a very young kid, he was taken on board and shown another planet and told it was his home. Yeah. It was right. amazing because uh -huh. he... Woke up that morning wondering about this, and his mom's like, "Honey, I think he was only four you? years. I think yeah. he was only four years old. Yeah, 
Yeah, but his mom's oh. like, honey, where were you last night? You weren't in your bedroom. <laughs> mom, oh, I was on a spaceship. <laughs> guess what? Yeah. And she told him, honey, wow. I, I'm going to tell you two things, and you need to remember this. One, don't tell anybody about this. Yeah. <laughs> two, always remember it. Uh, and he took that to Good heart. advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one one other thing real quick. I, I, I wanted to kind of whip it back around to the beginning of the podcast where talking about, uh, or the beginning of this episode, talking about uh, uh, the, the, uh, the makeup of, uh, you know, the beings that, you know, may or, mm-hmm. you know, that appear to be visiting us, visiting us. And, uh, and uh, it reminded me of a uh, post on, uh, believe it or not, NASA has a uh, Tumblr account. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh, oh, and, and, and yeah, and it it reminded me of a post they uh, they had uh, that they made on Tumblr uh, uh, as it turns out about a year ago. Uh, I do want to say that this this post assumes assumes uh, that there was a big bang. So if if Jude and I can't remember, y'all help Kurban. me. Curvan, yeah, Curvan, yeah. Jude Jude would disagree that it's the yeah. big switch, not the big bang. The big but big, but the big breath, yeah. yeah, big breath. But regardless, uh, uh, the post was the building blocks for humans and even our planet wouldn't exist if it weren't for stars. If we could rewind the universe back almost to the very beginning, we would see a sea of hydrogen, helium, and a tiny bit of lithium. The first generation of the first generations of stars formed from this material. Uh, so there's, uh, there was a lot of heat and pressure in a star's core, uh, to fuse atoms together, forming new elements. Our DNA is made up of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and phosphorus. All those elements, except hydrogen, hydrogen, which, which has existed since shortly after the Big Bang, are made by stars and released into the cosmos when the stars die. So point being is, they're you know talking about shared dna on the planet there's certainly right. a case to be made for shared dna throughout the universe so we're all stardust ah. yep yeah the subject of dna is so fascinating <laughs> because in some That's ways a it's, a very, <laughs> yeah, it's a very simple molecule with i mean for what adenine thiamine i forget the four things are four basic molecules or proteins that form DNA, but even Watson and Crick, who won the mm-hmm. Nobel Prize, I think, for discovering it, yeah. were absolutely impressed to the point that we think this is probably designed by extraterrestrials. I mean, they went there. They said that? <laughs> yes. Jeez, wow. um, wow. that was a little early, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, fo- yeah. I found that fascinating because yeah. I, I do think that DNA is throughout the universe. This is certainly what contactees are being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. if there's a, just a lot bigger picture than the the small vision we have of uh, reality and uh, and and life uh, on this planet. So, and just imagine, so we just have to tune into it and uh, you know to see that bigger vision and search for it. Yeah. Well, thank well, you. If I, can, if, if I can get these three guys to come back, Preston, <laughs> I'm going to send them to your yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anytime. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Preston. It's well, been wait, great. Tell us, tell us where people could find you and your YouTube channel, all that. 
Um, thanks, Trish. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. On Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I do have a YouTube, YouTube channel YouTube, and a yeah. website. If you punch my name in on Google or Bing or whatever, Yahoo search engines, you should be able to find okay. me pretty easily. My books are available. And his last name, spell your last name for people. Uh, so they spell D, it right. <laughs> yeah, it's called Dennett. D is in David. E N N E T. now they'll remember that and and your your podcast your podcast is called the gate is that it uh yeah i i do a uh weekly podcast with dolly saffron called the light gate that's monday light gate that's right we'll see you on the 23rd in fact yeah i think we're scheduled for the 23rd to be on there that's right i'm excited yeah Yeah. no No, that's too (laughs) do you have uh, do you have uh, uh, commercials during during it? Are there breaks? Uh, we're, I say we're on two hours. I don't know if I can talk for two hours straight. <laughs> sure you can. <laughs> we have one quick station break, but if you need to okay. take a break at any time, of course yeah. you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. We're looking forward to it. Okay. Can't wait, uh, Preston. Tell Dolly hi. <laughs> I sure will. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thanks very good. much. See you soon. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.